I mean, you don't go there for the uh, rock bottom deals. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> Let's do this. This is a podcast, GearBuds Podcast, episode 93. I'm Henry. We've got Dave on the phone. Hey. We did it. We didn't we didn't step by each other. That, that was, was perfect. Almost professional. And I am personally super stoked for the other person that we have on the phone right now. John Nunez from Torch, Nunez Amplification, Sound Artillery Studios. Thank you so much for being with Welcome. us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to dive into topics. We've got all sorts of topics. Where so where's here? Where are you right now? Yeah. I'm actually I'm actually at the studio. I'm at Sound Artillery. Uh just rolled in. I have Mrs. Dio here with me. Uh and yeah, just uh it's letting the gear warm up um prior to uh mixing today. And nice. yeah, just kinda yeah. you know, came in sometimes it's nice to come in a little early and just kinda like let things warm up and just kinda like occupy the space solo style. You settle in. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, I don't know about you. This has been something we've been talking about recently. One of my ways that I've been doing that over at the studio is I, I brought some slippers over and and Ooh. I and I change out of my shoes into just some house shoes Game and it, and it totally brings oh, me yeah. into the vibe. It's Dude, like a thing. I don't. All right, you guys tell me. I don't know if it's like a Florida thing or maybe even a Miami thing, but uh, I had an incident where one of my dogs grabbed my sneakers and scattered them in the yard, and it was like a, a <laughs> chain of unevent, uh, like just. Not so good events. Uh, yeah. And so the, dog, the the shoes went in the yard, and I, I always, you know, I would always grab them, put them on, whatever. But it just so happened that they got wet, and just all these things kept happening. I'm like, those shoes are done. So for about a good two-week window, I was rocking the sandals and socks look. I don't know if you guys – I, I, like, I feel and like then that's I finally cool again. Boots. <laughs> I, I feel okay. like the – yeah, I, th- I think that's cool again, man. I that's uh that's that's my perspective on it. I think okay, the sandals, cool. Are, were they like the slides? Like the, yeah, like the, I guess yeah. so. Um, no, but they had like the uh, they had like the little I don't know if you call that like the in between toe tree or whatever. Oh, like, like a Ninja Turtle style <laughs> in between toe tree. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that's called. It's like the yeah. string nut for your foot. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly yeah, what you're talking yeah, exactly. about. Yeah, exactly. Okay, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a there, string tree. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Exactly. I mean, that's I don't know. That's all I got. Uh, but yeah. All right. So <laughs> I was I was rocking those for a couple of weeks, and I'm like, all right, I need to fucking buy a fucking pair of shoes. Like, yeah. I, I like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do get that, and I guess I was, and it was like uh, a point in time where I was recording. I mean, sorry, mixing a bunch of stuff. Um, some stuff from the UK and from other places. So it, it really did. I agree. It brought like a homey vibe to mm-hmm. uh, the studio. And I don't know. kind of. I love it. A, know, a new pair of shoes or just like a different pair even, of shoes will change your perspective. You know, well, just like I, you know I'm just so excited. <laughs> Dude, we, we haven't even gotten into the first segment. We've already gotten badass socks with sandal stories. So let's just keep this train rolling <laughs> the here. The topics I'm, are hot. Is, hot topics. It's, yeah, it's hot topic. super hot. <laughs> and not uh, the store. Let's dive in. Symphony of Corrections, uh, here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you so much for listening to this and the previous 92-whatever episodes. Uh, follow us on Instagram, at Gearbuds Podcast, on Facebook, Dave dropping memes all the time. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, the places. Uh, let's get into some sub-segments, uh, touching tips with Dave. This one kind of crosses over because um, I don't know if you have any tips, but I've got one for touching tips here. Mm-hmm. That uh, so, And this one actually comes from a listener who's also a friend of the show, Balthazar Delay. What's hey, up, Balti? We were talking about we were talking about that iPhone Notes app and how useful it is. And he mentioned that you can also use that to scan documents. So I next time you that. scan documents and you've got an iPhone, 
There's your tip. You can just do it on your phone now. Did apparently. not know I that. I didn't know that That's either. Awesome. Awesome tip. Hell yeah. Uh, friends of the show, uh, Universal Audio just put out a couple, or well, I don't know if they're out, but they've announced and released information and videos and such about uh, a couple sweet pedals, Golden Reverberator, Starlight, and Astra, which look fucking awesome, yeah. and I can't wait to get my hands on those. Uh, also, Daredevil has a brand new site, and I don't know, have we have we teased all the, we've probably teased the, the work that I'm doing over there, but anyways, uh, yeah, we didn't got, some, say got too some new much, videos but, yeah. coming with Daredevil uh, soon, so that's pretty exciting. Go to daredevilpedals.com. That's uh, Friends of the Show. Uh, I don't have anything for free stuff, gearbudspodcast.com slash free stuff this week, but there's still a ton of stuff in there if you haven't ever gone in. Uh, it's just like a bunch of plugins and sample libraries and stuff that uh, I've collected that I think are cool and sound good. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Cool. Go there. Uh, let's get into... So, okay, I wanted I wanted to, to develop this sub-segment a little bit. So <laughs> this, is, this is normally where we talk about bad fucking ideas, but I've noticed that we've been balancing it with good fucking ideas, so yeah. I think we should just call it maybe like BFI, GFI from now on. Or just we fucking We can argue ideas. about that later. <laughs> just ideas. Um, here's one. Here's a BFI. Uh, so I'm always excited when our fans and listeners and, and friends reach out on social media yeah. and talk to us. Like, that's the best thing in the world. Uh, however, I got a friend request on LinkedIn uh, from someone saying, hey i'm a fan of the show like just thought i'd reach out here and you know i gotta say linkedin probably is not the place for that so let's throw that in the bfi category for now um gfi don't need to get too too deep into this but just had to follow up because it's something that we've really talked about a lot here on the show and this is save our stages and all the stuff going on to protect the uh, live industry the live sound industry live music industry in the united states and you know we talked about that the um that the bill had passed and there was all this money coming out. Well, I've got some updates on that and it looks like uh, specifically $15 billion will be distributed through the small business administration, the same uh, agency that paid out like um, paycheck protection stuff, like Mm -hmm. the stimmy checks. Um, It's going to go to businesses that lost 90% of their revenue first, which is pretty fucking awesome. Uh, And an additional 2 billion has been set aside for businesses with fewer than 50 full-time employees. So uh, some, there is actual some relief coming. There are some uh, adults in charge again, which is very exciting uh, for the live sound world. Um, One other thing that's actually, I I definitely want to throw in the GFI category and Dave, I think you might've even actually sent me this. Yeah. Um, The coolest noise. Oh, uh, dude. uh, That new, the new children's book coming out from uh, Kurt Blue and Abominable Electronics. Yeah. Reverb posted a, Reverb posted a page about it on their news segment. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a book for children that kind of breaks down the simplicity of like, there are a lot of guitars and they all make a cool noise. And there's just a picture of like, you know, 20 different guitars. I love it, man. And they were all, those were all real guitars in that yeah. picture too. Yeah. Including Kurt, one of Kurt's guitars, which I thought was fucking rad. The illustrations uh, are great. And then there's like yeah. a whole page with pedals. I, I am definitely buying this for, uh, my buddy has a two and a half year old and she is going to get it for her third birthday. I, she totally. might be a little young yet for it, but I think it's a good start. So. And it like explains pedals in a really ch- child friendly way and amps and how to like start a band and make music with people and stuff. I don't know. I, I it just looks they awesome. They have like I'm, little like like the eagle is like a singer. Like they're all little cute cartoon characters. Yeah. And then it says, uh, you know, just as the cake is better than the batter, noises become music when you make them together. It's just very nice. Uh, it's cute for the kids. I love that. Dropping quotes on us. Get them started you. young, man. I love it. Uh, Any Craigslist? Yeah. Uh, GFI. GFI. I uh, got a got a got a got one of each real quick for those. Uh, got a, so that one of these is a Craigslist reply. So a dude had replied about a guitar that I'm selling. I'm throwing this absolutely in the GFI category. I'll admit I even 
like I'm a I'm a sensitive person, but I kind of even almost got a little misty when I got this email reply. So I had, I had, the dude had reached out about this guitar I'm selling. I sent him some more information about it. He's like, okay, cool. I gotta think about it, whatever. And then he came back and he said, hey Henry, thanks for replying. My wife said no. My apologies, as I must obey, having been married 30 years keep playing pete and that just like i I almost just even got i I don't know why that touches me so much but man it just like really made me feel nice that he it's the way he said keep playing just made me feel nice yeah sure that as a gfi he's a smart guy here uh, but then just a bad Craigslist idea, uh, someone was selling and I've got a little screenshot in here, Dave, you can see this. Uh, it says the headline, which is kind of funny anyways, rare custom shop, 66 fender strat with large headstock. It's fine. $2,200. Not a bad price. Not a bad price. The lead image is the case. Like, <laughs> oh man. What? We went on a whole sub, sub segment once about lead images, didn't we? I think we, we talked well, about obviously. it. Obviously. Uh, yeah. Not a great image for your, for your, it looks like you're selling a guitar case, which, uh, yeah. Most people will and like the back, it's not even a good. And the perspective is really weird. It makes yeah. me feel like I'm like upside down or something. I think he oh, flipped really it. Strange. Yeah, I think he took it like upside down and then rotated it so it looks like the couch is upside down that it's laying on. It looks very strange. You uh, know. Anyways, the takeaway: GFI, BFI. Uh, you know, if you're even if you're not going to buy something from someone, be nice about it. And and if you and if you're trying to sell something. Uh, pay attention to how you're presenting it. I guess that's the <laughs> that's the, the moral. I of the think story the croc, folks. The, his foot with a crock in the picture was like. Oh, the best part. Th- how did I miss that? Of course, <laughs> guys the got photo, black crocs You on. see his foot, and he's got Crocs on, which just made me so fucking happy. Uh, yeah, sweet. All right, that's uh, that's a good symphony, I'd say, and uh, that leads me to what I is still to this day one of my favorite moments every week. The two favorite words that I get to say every single week. Dave's Docs. Oh yeah! Wow, I like that enthusiasm. Did, did you notice I changed it up a little I, bit? Yeah, change it up. You know, week it's week to week. Um, well, I just gotta say, man. You know, this this one came about because I've been a little frustrated lately, um, and I had to go on my own and find what's wrong, buddy. What is a replacement for the doc that I really wanted to watch with huh. one that was of the same subject matter, but not the original doc that I wanted to watch. So for some people uh, who know, uh, there's a Phil Lynott documentary. Phil Lynott from uh, oh, Thin yeah. Lizzy. The Thin Lizzy doc. Yeah, Songs for While I'm Away. This movie came out in 2020. Uh, in, the, in the fall of 2020, I don't know where it is. It was released in like uh, Ireland, I think, in a few theaters. There are no files online. There's no way to buy it. There's no torrents even for it. There's nothing for it. It does not exist online. So wow. I'm like, well, I want to watch a Thin Lizzy documentary. I want to know more about this band. Phil Inot was like a total rock star stud. I'm like, let's mm-hmm. let's look it up. Well, YouTube has an hour and a half long documentary about Phil Inot and Thin Lizzy. So it's called The Outlaw. Okay, wait. Let me let, can I press pause for a second here because yeah. I've never watched a Thin Lizzy documentary, but I've always and and did it, is it it's Linot because I've always well, just said like Linet. Linet. Phil Linet. Linet. If you're if you're Irish, it's Linet. Linet. Okay. Phil Linet. But. Uh, Lynott is how I read it, but I think it's Lynette, Lynette. Okay. All right. Big Phil. We call him Big Phil. He was a very Big tall Phil. man. Um, Ooh, was he a tall boy? He was very tall. Yeah. I yeah, didn't absolutely. know that. Um, I didn't, they didn't say how tall, but in every photo, he's like towering over everybody. Um, pretty cool story, man. I didn't. I actually didn't know they were from Ireland. I don't know. Maybe that makes me uh, ignorant. I, I, I did know that, but yeah. I, didn't, you know, I don't know much else. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, he started off as like a lead singer in a... Actually, this is kind of funny. He started off as a lead singer in the late 60s for a band called Skid Row. No joke. Cool. They were uh, not the 80s hair metal Skid Row. Not Sebastian Bach's Skid Row. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, he was not the singer before Sebastian Bach. No, in the late 60s, (laughs) 
they were like a prog rock band, kind of like a King Crimson t- style type thing. Ooh. So he would go to he would go do these shows. They hired him as the lead singer, and he wasn't even that really that good. And then he would just like stand on the side of the stage because they'd go into these like 15, 20 minute jams. And he's just like, well, this is silly. And then they ended up letting him go because he really didn't have that great of a voice. Um, what's kind of cool about that story is the guitar player from that band, they ended up being really close friends. And he taught him how to play bass. And within six weeks, Phil was playing bass and singing lead vocals. So he started a few bands from there on. Uh, there was a band called Orphanage, which they were kind of a little more experimental too. They they had like new members for every gig. Like sometimes they'd do a trio. Sometimes they'd have like oh, nine, nine people on stage. I don't know what they sounded like, but apparently that's kind of cool. I don't know. I'm sure you could look it up. They're called Orphanage, which would be kind of fun to check out. Um, but yeah, then he basically, you know, left that to form uh, Thin Lizzy. And, uh, dude, they were a fucking huge band, man. I mean, obviously, the boys are back in town. Great record. You know, I, great- I have I have been in a band that has covered that song on yeah. stage. I'll I, add. I was at that gig. Uh, you and Brad, yeah. I think. The dueling right. solo part. I mean, it's it's. in fact, when I hear that song, I see you guys doing it, which is just hilarious. Um, but, I mean, it's when so you It's so wrong on so many levels. But for, for Thin Lizzy, like, when you have two Les Pauls and a P-Bass, and then it's, like, high-watt amps and Marshalls, can you really go wrong with that setup, man? Nope. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. So, uh, yeah, dude, they, you know, uh, you know, not, not too much to say about like the movie. Obviously it's not fair. I am going to go find and watch songs for while I'm away when I get an opportunity. I, yeah, I really want to see that. Anybody knows where to find this. I will, I will travel to go like watch this in a theater with a mask on if I have to, like, I don't know what's going on with this, but it was released in October in Sweden, apparently. So huh. uh, I want to find that, but I, I also wanted to learn about Phil and I want to learn about Thin Lizzy. So uh, if you guys want to check out the outlaw on YouTube, um, I give it, you know, I definitely give it a, a three and a half out of five P bases. You know, it was a pretty good doc. It was, it was legit, like a lot of live footage. Um, you know, they played the songs in the movie, you know, it wasn't like, uh, right. you know, it wasn't thing. like fake. Well, yeah. I've got to ask, what what did he have like a as bass boy? I mean, did he have like number a number one P bass? That was his. Yeah, he was I mean, for yeah, the, the one he got famous with was like an early seventies um, black with a mirror pickguard. They actually Fender did a reissue of it for the, through their custom shop. It, it I think it might even be a master built. It's not mm. cheap, man. It's like you know ten grand or something like that. Um, so they they did reissue that, but yeah, he played P basses. He actually had a, like a mid sixties jazz. Uh, for a while when they first started playing, which looked really cool, Sunburst, you know, jazz bass, which I was really into. And then he kind of got in the 80s, uh, you know, things went wrong. He he actually passed away at 36. In the, you know, so they he played music for like 20 solid years uh, and then, you know, got into the drinking and, and the heroin and all that. Mm. But in the 80s, he got into like synthesizers and, you know, like like a Spectre bass, like a crazy, you know, 80s style stuff. So he kind of, you know, he kind of cruised along with with the look stayed with the, the times vibe. a bit. He stayed with the times. But yeah, he was all about, you know, dressing really flamboyant and really crazy. Um, he was never like this really outgoing front man until they started touring really heavily and like people didn't care. They're like, dude, we're, we're here at this festival gig. You guys are playing this like pub level show. We need a bigger, you know, we, we need more enthusiasm. So he, he took it upon himself to just become this incredibly charismatic front man at that point. And, uh, and that was the thin Lizzie that most of us see today. So, huh. so good, good flick, man. Check out the outlaw. It's on YouTube. So you won't feel bad about watching it for free. Thanks Dave. Hey, <laughs> on the, on the Phil Lina tip, uh, isn't there is a killer song, and I I don't know if it's part of the Flash Gordon soundtrack or if it just the song reminds Ooh. me of Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I'm like in my head, I'm scratching my head. It's like semi, like how you mentioned he was into uh, synthesizers and whatnot. Yeah, uh, like the, it's very 80s, right? Like when yeah, the movie came it's out, like yeah. and like semi, like it's like kind of disco-ish, like the the song and the arrangements. It's super, <laughs> super anthemic. It's such a killer huh. song. Yeah, ah, that's to, awesome, man. I gotta check that out. Well, it's a, what, it's almost like it, it like tips his hat to like ELO a bit. Oh no shit! Okay, yeah. cool. I'm yeah. I'm here for that. Yeah, the yeah, guy he had a, a lot ooh. of styles, man. It was actually pretty cool. He yeah. didn't. Stick I, to I just think one he thing. had like an amazing uh, vocal style technique and like just his rhythmic, you know, patterns mm-hmm. and all that. It's just like crushing. It's like I think he's super, super, super unique in his delivery and approach. I and totally agree. Yeah. There's some live footage that's insane where he uses that. Uh, I've seen him with that Fender P bass and like he works with like the reflective. Um, the pick pick guard, art, yeah, yeah. yeah, with like the spotlights hitting it on mm-hmm. stage. But it went along know. with his outfits. He was super flashy like that. You know, he would wear like the right. rhinestones and like the crazy puffy shirts and all that fun shit. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah. one more tip I actually forgot about this. In the 80s, he started a side project with Johnny Thunders from uh, I think it was like New York Dolls or something. No kidding. In yeah. like 19, in like 1980 or 81, they were called the Greedy Bastards. They played like two gigs and I think they might have sold a record, but they, I guess they made a bundle of money doing it and then they just never played again. So that kind of happened too. So. Yeah, Damn. definitely an interesting Good dude, tips, to say at least. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I can as a as a bass player, singer myself, I appreciate anybody who can like do that because it's it's really really hard. And uh, you could tell he was a singer before, and then he kind of works his bass lines around his vocal melodies. So it's right, right. It's pretty cool, pretty cool. Well, Dave, now I'm gonna listen for some uh, specific Thin uh, Lizzy uh, influence on all of your new record uh, new recordings that you're doing over at the space with your and, new uh, interface. And actually, a lot of people forget, Henry. I I forgot to mention this. You as a as a huge Metallica fan, you know the whiskey in the mm. jar was a Thin yeah. Lizzy song, which yeah, Metallica man. did an amazing cover of that song. They did they did a version of but, that. But uh, sure. I, I did not know this. When they recorded that song, there's no bass on it on whiskey in the jar uh, when Thin Lizzy did it. Oh, really? Yep. Yep, he's playing wow. guitar in the in like even when they do it live and stuff, he plays guitar on it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it definitely is a different vibe, mm-hmm. uh, closer to the sort of like Irish uh, heritage Celtic thing mm-hmm. uh, than the than the Metallic version, which has God, I can't remember. Is it like Les Claypool or something? There's someone ridiculous playing with Metallica on that song. Well, that's that whole record though. They've got a bunch of collaborators. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. I just I remember. I I think I might have even heard that version of it before i ever heard the thin lizzy version i was like oh yeah. wow okay because that got pretty bringing bringing back garage ink i haven't thought about that in quite a quite that a was while. the record I'm yeah i couldn't to, think of the might have to throw it. that on a little bit later <laughs> all right john uh this is a part of the show that we call a couple two tree randos where i just ask you a couple two tree rando questions to kind of turn the focus a little more on you uh get some get something out of here so uh if you could swap places with any band member any band, past or present, living or dead, it doesn't matter, you know, your talent, theirs, any of that kind of stuff. You just get to swap places with anybody. Who would that be and why? Shit. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm I'm basically the type of person that, uh, I don't know, I feel like distance and mystery is good uh, between, like, people whose music or just creative efforts you appreciate and inspire you. Sure. You know? But, yeah. damn, I mean... One person, I it's like I might have to split the load. I might have to do like two or three. Um, That's cool. All right, so right off the top of my head, uh, I would say I would love to be around 
it's like damn it's like almost like i don't know if i want to replace anybody or just be there uh for, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, just, just like auxiliary percussion yeah on yeah stage or you know just like a part of it maybe you know but like uh, the, maybe the reason i love these things that i would like to be involved and in, like around for is because i would want to everybody to do exactly what they did but just kind of be there i mean if i were to collaborate that'd be amazing but mm-hmm. i would like to be around for um the making of here come the warm jets by brian Eno. oh you know okay oh, right uh i would like to be around for um i don't know man any of the first six led zeppelin <laughs> uh record <tracking. laughs> yeah. you know any of them i'll be happy to be there uh but also i think it'd be super incredibly interesting uh to be around or involved in the making of low by david bowie Ah, and the Berlin trilogy. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be fucking insane. Uh, I don't yeah. know, I, and also you should, man. Any of the uh, MBV, uh, especially the earlier MBV stuff, I would mm-hmm. love to be around for that. So you, you're not talking Loveless, you're talking or before that. Yeah, before Loveless, but definitely like isn't anything and the EPs yeah. and all that. But I mean, I mean, shit, even that first seven inch. But I think the like actually <laughs> after the, sur- I love the first seven inch. Uh, and I believe they had they had definitely had a different singer, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, even Loveless too. Maybe not so much the mixing part, but everything. Yeah, the years of mixing. Yeah, like everything prior. I don't know. I just like I don't I I, I would like maybe it's the way I was raised, but like I just I think it's it's something about putting people on pedestals pedestals that I'm not into, but I do f- really respect and look up to and have a lot of admiration for a lot of, you know, creative types of people and stuff. But like the whole replacing thing, I'm like, damn, but you're kind of, I don't know, yeah. you know, like, all right, you're fucking with the fair, recipe. No, you, I, fair enough. <laughs> that's, I feel that's you. Yeah. Part. So it's, yeah, it's something yeah. you want to take, like you, you want to go and take something from these experiences, yeah. but you don't want to negate them from having right. existed. To begin with. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Man. It's it, like the weird time travel paradox. Shit. Exactly. Yeah, it's like effect. exactly what I was just going to say. It's like, yeah. those <laughs> like whether it's a skit, a movie or a book where like you go back in time and like you do that one thing and you fuck up everything. <laughs> yeah. Butterfly effect. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher's finest film. All right, let's keep <laughs> this shit rolling here. Uh, have you made any New Gears resolutions? Well, I do. Yes, yes. I well, if I tell me if I'm following the protocol for this segment correctly, but I swapped out uh, the delay pedal on my board. Uh, oh, this is great. Okay, so and it's actually it's probably like some people are like okay, whatever. But I actually went from a certain pedal that I was really digging that just kind of became like kind of maybe finicky or glitchy or maybe i just wasn't into it anymore hmm. and i actually ended up uh putting uh, a mxr carbon copy on my board and i don't know i really Old dig standby man yeah it's like solid it has a nice like thick saturated type of sound and i i just i liked how uh steve how his he's been using it for years and mxr was kind enough to send me one a while back and i used it in the studio a bunch sometimes uh it can be maybe thicker than certain parts call for but i'm really yeah. digging i'm really digging it for uh oh, dude, well that's why they came out with i think it was there was like another version that they came out that had like a switch or something so you could make it a little brighter and less mm. like thick in the mid-range yeah like high pass maybe or something 
I think yeah, I can't. I don't know what's, what was on there, but yeah, the, it was it was to address exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So I mean, I and I, you know, the old pedal I was. It's not nothing like I'm not talking bad about or anything, but it was no, the, not the, at all. That it was the Catlin bred Echo Rec, which I did like, but I do feel the difference between uh, the analog and digital kind of, you know. Difference. Without a question, and, and, and the Benson, like that whole magnetic disc type of delay, is just a different vibe than right. what the carbon copy is, which is you know sort of bucket brigade analog delay for yeah. sure. And it was definitely the Echo Rec was definitely a heavy, heavy part of my board for the last few years. It was all over the last record, and it's on a bunch of. I mean, I still have it. It's in my pedal, yeah. pedal library or whatever the hell you want to call it here. At the <laughs> I love that. Um, Does that mean uh, you can you can check things out from the library? Yeah. So I <laughs> well, might have some right right here. now, right now it's you know where it, where it's closed to do to turn it <laughs> but but if you're in the studio recording it's open it's like a card catalog right. of pedals i guess Excellent. the dewey decibel system and shit yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's not like blockbuster where you can rent it and like not return it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that one blockbuster that's left yeah. uh so that's a pretty big i'd say that's a pretty big change right there because yeah. something like that you can really come to rely on like an old standby pedal like you mm-hmm. know if you've got it on record and stuff too like right. shit I've, that's i've been worried about that sometimes writing things with very specific effects and Absolutely. an old band i had this one patch on the line six m9 doing this like sample and hold thing that i just couldn't find on anything else i was like shit i kind of like painted myself into this weird corner where if I ever want to play this song again, I have to have this one thing. I feel that. I feel that. I mean, and also when putting together a record, it's like, you know, I don't know. I've read many of things where like bands are like, all right, we got to like stay on top of what we use and the pedal chains and the order and the settings. And I was kind of in that mindset going into tracking the last record. And now once I start recording, I'm like, all right, whatever. That shit goes out the window real fast. (laughs) But at the end, taking like very specific notes, like, oh shit, how am I going to get this exact sound back? Yeah, I didn't do any of that. Uh, But, you know, there was some familiar uh, pedals that were kind of like, my go-to for certain things and at the end uh you know of all the tracking all that i'm like there's no way i'm taking all these pedals on tour and having (laughs) like a fucking pedal board that's as big as i am that shit will become like (laughs) self-aware and kill everybody or something well would you ever do something like a kemper or axe effects or something like that i i've never heard them do anything that i found uh you know uh inspiring or stimulating you know like i've never i've i haven't come across that even with um our amps uh we've had yeah. we had um had a gentleman in a very very well known large band very awesome player very unique player and he borrowed the head when I was living in LA and he was just you know over the moon but he was being uh how can i say this uh maybe courted by uh, <laughs> like Ooh. a uh an amp simulation emulation type of ah, okay. company yeah sure and the dude was really, really trying to bag this guy, you know. And I, I told him, like, hey, man, the heads that we make in parts at this time, at, like, this is like two or three years ago, in parts alone are $1,900 pre-labor. Totally. And it's two heads in one box. And it mm-hmm. takes at least 40 hours to build this thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I get it. And, you know, it's a popular thing that happened in L.A. with people trying it are in huge bands and, like, they were just like showered with gifts and you know no one right. wants like they don't want to bite the hand that gifts them gifts to them rather so like not. you know he actually this dude went as far as telling the the simulation guy like hey man just he got frustrated because i guess the guy was hounding him because he wanted to mm. you know it's like i need to bag this guy before nam and uh <laughs> just just really kind this really kind person just had enough it was like hey listen man 
your stuff is convenient. It's fine. Having all the patches and all that shit for all our parts and all the intricate stuff is great. But can you make your shit sound like this guy? And here, it's like the company had only been around like a year or something. He's like, who's that? What? Huh? He's like, yeah, get if you, I'll play your shit if you can make a patch that sounds like this or something. Right. So, I mean, that's that's all, you know, super uh, nice to hear and all that. But in the end, like, of course. obviously he went with a company that was going to, like, promote him, you know? Because nowadays it's like you're in your band and all that, but everyone's trying to get something on the side, too. So I mm-hmm. get it. And on top, absolutely, yeah. It's hard. It's it's almost impossible just to you know Spotify streams and shit selling records. That's just you gotta you gotta diversify. Exactly. So I mean, I totally and you know, like it was cool just having somebody play <clears throat> the gear, playing very a very unique style and all that. And but yeah, he you know that person went on and you know sometimes if you distance yourself from certain things, you know you kind of like you can make something else work for you or I mean what works for somebody doesn't work for another. But I mean my yeah. my. Um, one of the amps was also taken into a studio with a band that's all into like being on like the cutting edge i guess some people would refer to it as uh with like gear and like digital stuff and mm-hmm. i don't know i just i'm not i'm not a fan of like i like just doing things so when things are like emulate knob per function you've got like a knob that does one thing and that's what you want yeah i mean i could chase i can chase different sounds on the fly and this and that with like the use of a pedal or using my hands yeah. to mess with a tone or whatever or even just playing i i just like stuff that's dynamic you know and like it put we will put a lot of work into making all this shit like dynamic we've measured like at high gain uh you know high levels of gain we've measured like 60b of dynamic range you know like mm-hmm. stuff like that when you, and when you play something else and you don't get that you know it's just fully that, compressed it's nothing yeah. there's only zero but you know going back to that like you know i've had people spend three hours trying to model this thing and it, it mm-hmm. just it's not possible because the way these things are made is very different than all the other standard practices where you would have to make an algorithm that would anticipate what you're doing next dynamically and mm. that Whoa. that i mean unless you have like a fucking it's a early in the day you just blew my fucking brain yeah. with that right it's just like that's the way we're thinking we're thinking very differently yeah. and until like people get like usb ports mounted in the back of their brains or something which i'm sure isn't far in the future right. but yeah, the matrix, you know connect that to your camper and then it'll it'll like <laughs> how you have like look ahead gating and compression it'll have like look uh, look ahead expression or something i don't know oh uh, yeah look ahead yeah. shredding dude oh my god that's so, so great yeah man it's just like our motto at the shop is just like and now for something completely different which is obviously oh, man, you know yeah. monty python but but I don't know. I Dude. so I have a very uh very clear vision of making gear for people and musicians plural. Like I don't see the point in like band passing. I don't see the point in putting people into like sonic cubby holes or pigeonholes mm. or n- mm-hmm. you know, like we make niche free gear, but I I'd be damned if you couldn't get the sound you're after with something that was made with all class A, class A B discrete components. Right. And hey, maybe yeah. there's some people that's like, yeah, it doesn't work for me. But we're all about give you more so that you can dial it in with less. If you play outdoors, yep. your sound isn't em- emaciated and hollow. You can just turn that shit up, turn it up right. to where you exactly. haven't had to before. And so I don't know. When well, that's what the headroom's all about. That if exactly. you, when you, it's there when you need it. Exactly. Oh man, I, 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 we are going to talk. I want to. I want to know everything there is to know about all of the stuff that you make. Uh, and this, so this is the perfect teaser. But I am going to keep, keep a couple two true randos going yeah, here because yeah. I'm also very. I'm very curious to hear the answer to this question. Sure. And that is, 
how many snakes would it take to defeat you? Uh, non, <laughs> non-venomous. Well, uh, for starters, I live in a house where there are, last I counted, uh, seven snakes. Uh, none of none of which are poisonous, as far as I know. But as a, I'm guessing these are just a like a, a you know a part of nature. These are not your snakes as pets. Well, they are. They are my girlfriend's pets, which. Oh, oh, wow. okay. Which I don't necessarily. I, I don't know. I kind of. I can. I can go back and forth about putting animals in, you know, tanks and shit like that. Totally. But they yeah. are. They're. They're more like almost like rescues. Like, you know, like they're just mm. off Craigslist. You know, being taken away sure. from people that they should not be with. There's actually yeah. one that is. You know, hopefully the feds aren't listening. That is an invasive species down here, and mm. the Burmese python. And we're in the Everglades, and we saw on on the road and i'm like if i don't get that thing i'm doing a disservice like that animal has eaten a bunch of native animals so far and it's not going to stop so i just threw a sheet over it backed it up put in a backpack and it's been living with us it's been living with us ever since (laughs) yeah i I did not know that you were a snake person (laughs) i'm not i'm not i'm not but i'm just i don't know i just feel like if it's not poisonous, I'm not that worried. Although snakes yeah. are intimidating, even if they are snakes that you've been around, you know, around for a while. Well, my question stands, man. You seem like the perfect expert to answer this. How many non-venomous yeah. snakes would it take to defeat you? I think uh, just if I'm sleeping and there's a large enough boa constrictor, it might just be one. Yeah. All it takes is one uh, and, you know, being unaware or careless or something. But I don't know. I think all for it me, takes is one. That's I would have to something between like, you know, 10 or 17. Would have I was going to say, down. it's going to take a few. You kind of know how to handle a snake. So I think yeah. it's going to be a few more than one. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, and or, and I know. guess I, I mean, I could I could add another constraint on it. It's in, all, in a very small room. Uh, yeah 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 i mean it can get overwhelming but because if you can run i mean shit i'm not worried about it would be like thousands i i can i can open a door too so i can i have that on my side (laughs) oh man all right Uh, and then so this question comes from carlos lopez if uh after this episode if you haven't listened already go back and listen to that i guess that was two ago um but his question for you and not knowing who was going to be but um just that was someone in the music world also he wants to know what was your last show before lockdown. Last show before lockdown was in Athens, Greece. Bef- wow! Before a uh, a very uh, quickly booked return flight for a tour that was technically um, a few days in, and which it was. Oh god damn it! Yeah. So this is an expensive question. Uh, so <laughs> we we set out. We we were at the seven month. Um, point of um, you know supporting the the last record that came out admission which came admission. out admission so fucking good by the way man I know thank I've told you. you that like a thousand times already but it's so good <laughs> I appreciate that thank you uh, I think it came out in July because we did uh, we did yeah we did a tour in June and then like halfway through that tour at the end of that tour it came out and then we continued but yeah this was around early March the band itself had um how can i say this a bad feeling (laughs) about going and touring europe uh and the management we were working with at the time they were convinced it was gonna be handled it was nothing to worry about it was you know Mm -hmm. just italy and this and that and we had alternate Mm -hmm. dates and luckily the band we were like okay well let's just we'll get flight insurance flight insurance and yeah right we'll take it from there so we it was it was going to be a long ass trip but it was like 
go to the UK, do a BBC live session. Uh, so we had like three days in London, which, you know, who doesn't, who wouldn't enjoy that? And then yeah, from, cool. from there, we flew uh, to play uh, Russia for the first time. We did St. Petersburg, had a travel day, and then played Moscow. And then we were supposed to play, and I might butcher it, I'm sorry, Greek friends. Uh, we were supposed to play Thelonokonikis, I think is what it's called. Huh. And, and um, I was excited because I've never been there, and Greece is fucking awesome. And due to some like uh, paperwork and all that for the equipment traveling in and out of the country, uh, Saint Petersburg, Saint Petersburg, uh, they were on in the airport. They were on point. They did it, you know, quickly, efficiently, and even stuff yeah. that had questions about. They they looked it up and knocked it out. And in Moscow, there was a bit of a communication situation happening, sure. and uh, we missed a flight, so we had to book uh, flights directly to Athens, which worked out i guess i mean we missed a show but we saved the final show which little did we know would be the last show for a long for an unforeseen right. amount of time so okay. we we got to athens uh we stayed down the street from the venue we were playing the night that we got in i hate god was playing so we kind of kicked it with them and hung out back in like backstage after their show with them and we were just there probably dude for like two or three hours shooting the shit and you could tell everyone was kind of like all right so what's happening with this and yeah we, we were coming from russia about to embark on a seven and a half week european tour and they just finished their tour and we're going to wrap up their european tour with two russian shows and then head home and we're all kind of like shit's crazy and they they were explaining how people started they could see that people were getting more and more nervous throughout the tour and like towards the end they could tell a drop off in the attendance sure so so the russian shows were fucking awesome we got we got to the Greece show, but we got there after their show, and we were just really hanging out with them. But they were like, "Yeah, you you can tell, you know." He's like, "I hope you know." We were just, uh, right, well, I hope things go good for us tomorrow, I guess. And uh, <laughs> right. I ran into a friend on the street over there, and he mentioned, it's "Like, hey, uh, you know, do you remember me?" Like, of course, well, you know, talking. And he had actually booked us the last time we were in Greece. Did like a few shows or a couple shows, and he had mentioned, it's "Like, hey, you know, not to be like I don't know Debbie Downer or whatever you want to call it, but." People have been pretty laid back, but hopefully things go okay tonight because people are starting to lose their shit. Like, today marked the day. So I was like, okay, yeah. that's kind of an omen. So we played the show. It was fun. You could tell, like, the the turnout was affected for sure. And it was like kind of like a deciding day for a lot of countries that were in the talks of, like, shutting down. So it was right. kind of like, you know, people were on edge. And sure enough, you know, like... I don't know, four hours after we played or something like that, U.S. time, uh, this moron who is no longer in office was, you know, was like, hey, we're shutting down, which, you know, I I can't, I don't, I, I'm not going to say that I don't agree with shutting the borders because it's like, right, you know, we need to do something. Shit is nuts. I get that. But I just don't like him personally. Uh same page my friend (laughs) okay so so he you know that administration was like hey we're gonna close the country so we're like oh shit it gets better and also i forgot to mention as soon as we landed in athens i found out that the whole tour is canceled i was like i knew it i knew it we all knew this so we lost a lot of money a lot um and yeah i'm really sorry to hear that that it's all good man it's all good we're it's pushed us in a direction where we're like actually uh, running our own merch store, we were self-releasing uh, a couple live performances on LP. 
and cool. it's it's going good and it's i think it's a, we're living in a time where as screwed up as a lot of things are um and a lot of uh musicians and creative types or whatever art, artists however you want to refer to it as are going through really difficult challenging times um but on the flip side people are acknowledging like oh shit these people are suffering it's like usually they're pretty you know they're on they're hustling constantly they have to and now mm-hmm. they're extra screwed so i think People are, you know, uh, donating money to bands, buying merch, supporting bands any way they can, taking advantage of, like, those Bandcamp Fridays or whatnot. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I think people are more aware of, like, <clears throat> oh, shit, there's a lot of sacrifices these people will make to, you know, hopefully give me a few songs to, like, jam out to and make me feel a certain way throughout the year or years to come. So, it's a way of giving well back. Said. And I think people are, you know, we're just, it's human nature. Like, all right. This is the new reality. What are we doing? How are we yeah. reshaping our lives and what we do? Love it. Uh, last question for this uh, couple two randos, and that is, what should we ask our next guest? Mm. Again, you don't get to know who they are or what they right, do, just right, someone right. else in the music world. Um, what would you like us to ask them on your behalf? Okay. I think a uh, great question, and it might be kind of like a two-part question, would be like, what what has been the most challenging thing uh going into this whole pandemic reality uh and also what has been the best thing that you've either discovered or um kind of been put in a position to grow like in that in a certain specific area that maybe you weren't tapped into or maybe didn't pay uh too much attention to prior to all this Excellent, thoughtful question. Yeah, I love that. No surprise. It's been nothing but excellent, thoughtful, uh, hilarious stuff so far. So uh, thanks for that, uh, John. Yeah, let's take cheers. it back a little bit, man. So did you did you uh, did you grow up in Miami? Yeah, born and raised um, in Miami, uh, and I've moved around a bit, but most of it, uh, most of my days <laughs> have been spent yeah. either in a van or in Florida. But yeah, I lived in I lived in Miami. Uh, from shit my delivery date to <laughs> about i guess uh, i don't know like i would say like early 20s but around like yeah my early 20s i also started touring a bunch and right. i'll spend time in other places and stuff but you know i always have like a plate even if it was just a room you know in florida i would but i basically pretty much like home base like putting money towards bills and rent has been uh, Miami, then Gainesville, Florida for a short bit, then Los Angeles, and then back to Miami. There you go. I've, uh, oh, well, they're not still there. I've had some family in Gainesville before, so yeah. definitely been it's down a cool, there. It's, it's also a cool the place. universities there, right? Yeah, UF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cool place, and I feel like there's always a lot of um, a lot of bands doing their thing, and like there's like fast kind of like fast paced turnaround and like maybe certain bands have like shorter lifespans but those people are always doing like a bunch of bands and they're always doing something new and something mm. you know different than yeah, multiple they projects playing with each other that's right right that type of thing and like there's always <clears throat> like you mentioned uf is there so there's always new people coming in and they bring you know their ideas and you know the fest Absolutely. is also there a fun festival that they do once a year um oh, yeah. always a blast what's to the play. Uh, Growing up, especially, I don't. I mean, I don't really feel like I know. Was there was there much of a rock scene gro- when you were a kid growing up in Miami? Yeah, I would say that er, like in the eighties into the nineties, there was always 
you know, a lot of stuff going on, whether it was like, you know, uh, death metal and like thrash stuff. There was also, mm, right. I mean, totally. there's, there's always like, there was like, you know, also it was like the Florida connection. So when death metal was popping off in Tampa, you had a lot of people from South Florida also involved in that. Um, just okay. an hour North, you know, West Palm, you got like obituary. It's always been floating around there. And, you know, so there's, and there, there's obviously like a lot of, you know, kind of shifts throughout different like decades but i would say that like yeah like i don't know early 90s it was like the norm you know where like it was just rock rock stuff everywhere for sure you know what was uh well some of the what were some of your favorites some of the shit that turned you on when you were that age um well my favorite the stuff man that i and i was thinking this recently like stuff that really hit me was um well, I had two older friends in the neighborhood and they would just like show me tons of stuff or like as they were f- finding this stuff and like getting into it, I would be exposed to it. I'm like, this is awesome. Uh, but <laughs> one man, one thing that resonated with me a lot was the first time because, you know, it was like a lot of like uh, like my first CD, like, well, my first uh, cassette or so was well shit man i'll fucking give you some dirt my first cassette <laughs> was fucking i'm too sexy by uh right, right, right said right fred. fred yep yeah, dude. yeah and because yeah, right. before before that i was just like yeah i'll just listen to music on the radio and i don't even, but then i was like man i like this song so i got that tape i was like <laughs> young and then after that um that was probably around the time I got my uh, Technotronic Pump Up the Jam tape. Dude, Ooh, I was, that was a good I, one. I was listening to that shit too, man. Because <laughs> when I was growing up, you know, like mid 80s uh, to late 80s, it was like, okay, we have like uh, Miami Booty Bass and Uncle Wow and all this Two Life Crew. And it's kind of crazy because a lot of these guys were like sampling craft work and all this shit. So yeah, right. that sound goes back as like to like the very first few things i was exposed to on the radio and all that's like and there was also a lot of like bass driven music down here that was like pretty much you know very craft work ish but with like fucking full-on sub bass assault Mm-hmm. Well, that that's super interesting for me to hear as a fan of your music because obviously your your band exists more in the rock world, but I've always heard your sort of approach to the full frequency as more. Of, I don't know if you'd say hip hop, but more of just like uh, some. It isn't as common in the rock and right. metal whatever world to to approach a, a ton of sub bass and a ton mm-hmm. of that bottom end, which you guys have always done. So I guess it kind of makes sense that that's been part of your DNA ever since uh, right. your, your your day of birth. Yeah, it's been embedded. I was you know just quickly quickly exposed to subwoofers but uh <laughs> so after that then my following cassette was led zeppelin 4 after uh my mom took me to a laser show and we were both like that was awesome so we bought the yeah. led zeppelin 4 and cassette and we went back and got like um went to see the Jimi hendrix uh experience and then i was kind of like you know I had a plan. I was like, I went and I got a Jimi Hendrix experience CD and I didn't have a CD player. So I was hoping that somebody would notice my parents and hopefully <laughs> give me a little boom box. And they were, they, they were like, they fell for it. You know, they didn't I'm like, yeah. So I mean, it's a you know, a little cheap thing. And then from there, so my first few CDs were Jimi Hendrix experience. I had the Led Zeppelin cassette, which later I got on CD, but it was like, you know, like, um, kill them all. And, oh, yeah. you know, 
shit like that. Uh, I also had the Porno for Pyros cassette. And then from nice. there, my friends just would would show me a ton of stuff. But one thing that I remember hearing, and I was already like maybe in fifth grade around the time it came out, but when Betty came out, uh, Helmet Record, it was just like, I don't know, I was just like a young kid, but I was like, this is now. This sounds mm. right now. There was a certain realness that was different than, I don't know, like the Slayer records I was listening to, the mm. Metallica records, the Pantera or whatever. And, you know, you know, uh, it was just like, this is real. This sounds more real to me. And it sounded yeah. like, I was like, I don't know, as a young kid, I didn't know shit. I was like, this is the sound of now. This is like right now and or something. You know, that's the best way I could describe that feeling it gave me. But I think stuff like that started um, interesting me in like maybe fucking around with the guitars, you know? And like also yeah. I was skateboarding at the time, but I couldn't land a goddamn kickflip. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> this shit. Do I'm a like, kickflip. Yep. I was just like, fuck this. And I was just like, I want to play guitar. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, started with an acoustic and then, you know, from there I got like, my first electric guitar was the heaviest Strat knockoff. It was uh, by a company called Epi. It wasn't even fucking Epiphone. It was just EPI. Oh, whatever wow. that is. Whatever the fuck. And I'll tell you what, and I wish I wouldn't have fucked it up, but like I remember when I got like you know my first real guitar, mm-hmm. I like smashed it, but man, that thing wouldn't smash. So I kept having to like screw the <laughs> neck back on, and I was like just determined. But in the end, I'm like, yeah, it would have been, hap- been fun to keep that. Yeah, heavy ass. It was probably like 40, 40 layers of poly on that thing. Yeah, it was it all poly. Yeah, it was no no wood probably. <laughs> it was like right. Did you uh? So when you started playing, did you were you quick to start playing with other people, or did you kind of stick with guitar on your own for a bit? Um, I maybe fifty fifty because I remember that my first experience with someone my age playing guitar like totally blew my mind. Uh, there was a kid uh that i would go to school with this dude miguel and he he was like a fucking huge kiss fan and all this you know rock and roll dad from the 80s and all that shit and so he had like the insight to certain things and he's like yeah man i got a guitar and he was all about like you know ace freely so it was like i got a les paul and i got a crate i got a crate amp i'm like damn he's like oh i also (laughs) i also have a metal zone i'm like damn this is (laughs) is, like i don't know what this combo man i was like i don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about but actually and the les paul came later i'm sorry he had a he had an amazing it was like squire by fender so it wasn't fender squire it was just Uh like the japanese squire yeah dude and that thing was awesome like i wish i fucking had that thing it was like a candy red uh strat and it played and sounded great it it was fucking awesome you know and uh it got you know eventually he kind of like he got like a gtx les paul and like didn't care about the strat anymore um but the strat was insanely better for sure insanely better so he was saying that he could fucking play guitar and all that shit i'm like really i'm like you can yeah i'm like dude can i go like check out your guitar like your guitar one day or something he's like yeah yeah i gotta ask my mom you know but uh if, if it's cool you know because he would be home alone for a few hours before anybody got home he's like yeah if they're cool with it then uh yeah sure i'm like okay so then the next day I, it might have like a day or two might have passed and i was kind of like it was in the back of my mind so i was like hey dude is it cool yet or what's going on he's like yeah 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 you know i gotta ask i gotta ask and then like finally he's like hey you want to go check it out i'm like today yeah <laughs> let's go and uh basically walked home from the uh, middle school down at his place and the whole way there i think he was like you know like 
yeah, I don't know. This guy would like talk so much shit. He would be like getting hyped <laughs> up and all that shit. I'm like, all right, dude, I just want to see this thing. I might, I yeah. might be like, I don't like this. Back to trying a kickflip again or whatever. Right. So, um, we went there and the dude, it was almost like a seance. He was like setting up this fucking amp that was like, I don't know, the size of like a takeout bag. It was like, all right, dude, <laughs> come on. And then he plugs in you know the guitar and then he plugs in the pedal and all this and i i just remember the f- when i was like all right dude so you're going to play or what's up and uh so basically um he went to play right and he he um he strummed the chord right like a probably like an open e or something mm-hmm. and i i kid you not i heard i think i felt like i heard the latency and i was just like Whoa, that was weird. What? Yeah, I heard I, like he strummed. I'm like, that was there was a delay. I'm like, try that again. What's it? And then like it was gone. I never heard the latency again. Whoa, so, it was so weird, and I'll never forget that. But um, so yeah, he played, and he was just like E F G, you know, yep. like dun, 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 whatever. I was like, all right, cool. And then he like he's like, oh, I can play along to some stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, show me. And, uh, you know, he was playing some shit, and he was playing along with it. It was pretty good. And he was really good at, like, improvising and, like, noodling and doing shit like that. And, like, you know, he was pretty good at it. You know, he was, like, it was more in the plus than the minus. Like, there was less sour notes than good notes, you know? <laughs> right. And I, I probably, I could tell, but I couldn't tell at the same time. I was like, whatever. And I think that fucker was, might have been, like, using the distortion on that little GTX 10 or 15 and the goddamn Metal Zone. So who the and fuck And the Metal Zone. Yeah. yeah. All those mids scooped twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no mids. And uh, he then he played some Megadeth shit. And I was like, I don't like this, man. It's just cheesy. Stop. And I was like, all right, show me how to play a chord. He's like, yeah? You want to learn? I'm like, yes. I think I can do it. I have a feeling I can do it. <laughs> and he's like, okay, so look. These are the... So he showed me, like, E... F, G, and, like, I was, like, okay. From a very logical approach, I'm, like, okay, that's simple. I can do this. Hmm. And I kind of got it, but then, like, you know, I was a little, like, sloppy at first, and, like, mm-hmm. I need to, like, loosen my, my the the fretting arm, if you will. Like, you know, like, I was, like, putting my arm all funny really and Really strangling it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, he kind of, like, he was, he was good. He was good at, like, showing me, like, hey, look, try this, that, or, like, yeah, man, holy shit, that's pretty good. That's pretty. And, like, I was just, like, yeah, man, I just need to learn four chords, and that's all I need. That's all I need. And uh, <laughs> I how right con- you were, yeah, yeah. I guess, right? And I'm still only pay- <laughs> I'm still only playing four chords. Uh, and so you know, and I kind of like I got like a little high off of that shit. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Like, this mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And then I guess I kind of bugged him a little bit. And he's like, yeah, man. And he was stoked to show somebody, you know, like you know. And I wasn't like a sketchy kid or anything. So we had fun. We laughed, whatever. And uh, you know, he was definitely the gateway into this entire mess that is my the, the world has has your friend miguel to thank for all of this yeah that's right right it's crazy and like i don't know last time i saw that dude i wouldn't be surprised if he's fucking locked up but that's a shame (laughs) that's his own own story you you guys didn't start a band or anything like that well we kind of did but then he he kind of like he would get picked up on fridays and go to another side of town with his dad because you know Mm -hmm. that type of shit so i just kind of like my cousin around the same time started playing so we kind of had like you know little amps and whatever and uh, dude oh man get ready for this shit i did the biggest (laughs) fucking fail i remember like it's so funny how sometimes parents know more than the child so i had this my i had my well i had to play acoustic for a while and then when i proved that i wasn't just you know gonna like quit and forget it my dad was like all right i'll get you the guitar for christmas and yeah so same thing you know i got the the white uh epi 
heavy as hell Strat, and I got a yeah. little gorilla, a little gorilla amp. Yeah, and nice. and uh, yeah, so that was my jam for a while. <laughs> and then I would play, but I'm like, it doesn't sound like the music I'm listening to, and I need to get that sound. So I eventually found out, or I, what what my instincts led me to do was like. I could fuck with this amp a little bit, I guess. I like mess with the guitar. I'm like, I'm not getting well, my guitar doesn't sound like these people's guitars. What's happening? And I just ended up like turning the volume. And it's funny because it's like, hello, my friend had a pedal and his amp had distortion. But I was like, my amp doesn't have that. How can I get that? <laughs> and I just turned all the knobs all the way up. You know, I was just like, fuck it. I bet that distorted. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, and, you know, and it's kind of funny because then you look later and you see bands doing that shit to make, you know, pretty you know big records and that's like their right. secret sauce so it's kind of funny right. but Turning i was just a like a little little practice amp all the way up right and it's all that whole thing and like you know like jimmy page would do that it's like and it makes sense because what you're doing to that little amp is what someone would do to a larger amp in a larger space playing live it's like you exactly. can drive it and you're just changing the dimensions you know what i mean and it's just like mm-hmm. you're getting that effect from a smaller thing in probably a smaller space but get ready for this one. I fucking I crank that motherfucker up, and it's you know it's like a blown out farty sound. It's like <laughs> rattle. It's just like the speaker's like dying. I'm like, all right, it's what I got, it's, you know. So I rocked that for a minute, and then my dad's like, oh, don't. Yeah, I guess he saw I was into it, and he was he was getting kick out of it. And he was like, oh man, it's cool. You're doing this. This is rad. And like, cause nobody plays instruments in my family really. Like my grandfather would say that in Cuba, he played. El tres, which means the three. So I think it's like a three-string guitar that's more of a percussive thing than anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there's not necessarily, like, you know, musicians in my family that I know of right. or whatever. So he was like, don't you need, like, you know, one of those things to change the sound or whatever? I'm like, oh, uh, uh. I was just like, I don't know what was wrong with me. But I was like, yeah, I guess. And so we went to this guitar store uh, that used to be called Not Just Guitars. And I think it was, like, young dudes that opened up a guitar store and they were doing lessons, so it was really cool. And I had some interesting mm-hmm. stuff, like guitars that were made by, like, smaller brands and other things and custom things. That, and, like, the prices were great. My my original acoustic and my epi came from Ed's Guitars, which was a fucking kooky place. People hated the <laughs> owner. And they sp- people would spread rumors that he had died. And you walk in there and he's alive and you're like, whoa, you're alive. He's uh, like, ah. He's like, what? You thought I was dead or something? Like, what do you know? Because <laughs> people hate his guts. And then I think he had like a couple, a few or a couple like close near death experiences, and he got like you know nicer. But then he died shortly after. So, Whoa. but dude, that place was a fucking gold mine. They had all these like crazy like prototypey Fender like eighties like these crazy shapes. You know, like mm-hmm. almost like. I don't know some crazy Dean BC Rich shit, and I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen them around, but that place had a bunch of those. Uh, they the had Fender a bunch Prodigy. Of, I think some. I don't know. I can't say, but yeah, it was like crazy yeah. shredder guitar. It looked like something that would have flown out of like a gravitron spinning at a fair, you know. <laughs> and with the fucking air, the, with a you know spray can fucking finish and all that shit. I want to. Li- I want to listen to that sound that happens. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I, d- I don't. Want, not sure I want to be on the receiving end of that thing flying. But nope. dude, at this at this fucking guitar store, Ed's Guitars, they had like tons tons of like aluminum net Kramers. They probably had a wow. they had a bunch of like Travis Beans for like a few hundred bucks. Oh, like, you're, you're killing me yeah, with that. Yeah, dude, oh my God. if if this guitar store was around I don't know, instead of being around like in the 90s or at, and they were like 
it got sold and they kind of had the shit going to like 97 or maybe mm. but if it was around like post 2000 this place would have been the shit but guitar center atlanta actually bought their entire uh inventory but dude they again ah. they had like <laughs> travis beans in there for like 450 to like 650 and shit right like that. <laughs> yeah you that's know? hindsight is always 2020 when it comes to that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so it's also kind of crazy too now i mean most people don't even get the opportunity to play an aluminum neck guitar, guitar ever yeah here you are as a kid pl- getting to see these things and then now of course you know fast forward and that's what you play right sort of like <laughs> oh yeah and torch right, instruments yeah. Right, right. And so it's it's just kind of funny. How you can some things can be pretty full circle, especially in the that music world. Circle. Yeah, man. But uh, uh, so going yeah. back to the fucking fail. Uh, right. So we go to the not just guitars because you know I think maybe my dad liked those people too. He liked them better. <laughs> so we yeah. went there and they're like, I was down between a distortion pedal and a phaser pedal. Oh yeah, and it was like I could have we could afford like the DOD, but not necessarily the Boss one because I think like sure. the DOD pedals are like in a thirty forty dollar range back then. Yep. DOD was my first, right? So I I was like it was like I don't think I got the grunge pedal, but it was like the death metal or 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 the phaser, the silver mm-hmm. sparkly one, dude. And my dad's like, all right, so which one? You know, we'll get maybe we can get the other one eventually. But for right now, we get one. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. I'm like, okay. Uh, and the guy was kind of the store. The guy at the store was kind of looking at me like, all right, all right, like maybe thinking he knew what I was gonna say. And I was like, I'll go with the phaser. And the guy was like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, yeah. And then when I got I got it and I went back and I played it for a bit, I'm like, I fucked up. I fucked up. Why, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, why did I do that? It was like, why couldn't I have just been predictable and get what I needed? Meanwhile. Yeah, death metal distortion. Yeah. And like, meanwhile, my friend had the grunge pedal and he would dial that thing in like awesome. He'd get right. such an awesome sound. And I'm like, fucking here in phaser land. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. dude it's so funny that that's your fr- those the first pedal too i mean i shoot you not very recently my, my first pedal was a dod uh fuzz fx 52 sort of similar situation but my one of my good friends gave me one of his first pedals which was the silver sparkly dod phaser <laughs> and i've been and i checked it out and it's actually it's a pretty cool sounding it's a six pole phaser it does it's it's different than like a phase 90 or a small stone it's it kind of does its own thing but i literally just got one it's like sitting right next to me yep. right now Hilarious. Oh, yeah, that's it's funny. Too. That's part yeah. of that's that's the fucking first pedal I ever had. First pedal that's I ever crazy. heard too was a phaser. Actually, my buddy down the street who played guitar. That was that was it, and I thought it was the coolest sound I'd ever. Right, and I think that's and, and uh, like think... all pedals sound like that. Oh, they that's what happens. They make it swirl. Okay, cool. Yeah, that whooshing right. noise. I called it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it scooped you up. Uh, mm-hmm. It whooshed you up. But yeah, it was just like I don't know if as a kid I was just like, yeah, I can. The distortion will always be there, and I'll get it. But. Like, I don't know if I was trying to not be predictable or what. I was like, but this is a new sound. I haven't, this sounds cool. Ah, what a fucking fail. But anyway, I, I did that. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's kind of a precursor, though, because it, it, it again, like, just like everything else, you, you're, as a person that's concerned with creating new sounds, that was, that was in, in there, yeah. there for you from day one. Right, right. Take us forward a little bit. When, how did, uh, how did Torch get together? When did that all start to come together? Um, well, that all happened where, um, the, uh, Rick, the drummer and myself, we had toured, we'd done like two U.S. tours and a bunch of other trips with our old, with our older bands, you know, like just kind of more mm-hmm. of on the DIY level. And it's kind of interesting. This is like another fucking full circle thing. Uh, we were on tour and we were jamming the hell out of the, uh, floor self-titled. And around that time I was like wanting to do something different. 
you know, and try to like expand musically, you know, from like K- what what were your old bands sounding like? Well, like, it was what, like what sort of genre, kind of like K- like uh, kind of like mathy, chaotic, dissonant stuff. Like not cool. not necessarily metal, but you know, more like it was just like playing like heavy dissonant noisy stuff with melody but it uh out of like old gear like tr- like trainer calves Rickenbacker huh. guitars okay, cool. um not necessarily high output pickups stuff like that and the the, yeah. the band it was like like post high school band you know like um because i graduated high school in 2001 torch started 2004 so within that period of time you know i jam with the other projects this and that but the the main band i had um was more along those lines and then when, okay, cool. when i would jam outside of that it would be different things i would range from like mathy clean guitar stuff to whatever but there was always a heavy stuff going on for sure um and so when torch started you were playing bass at that point right 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 yeah like uh rick got the call as a tour was ending for our old bands and he was like got kind of like a heads up that hey like floor might be needing a drummer if you're down to trial he's like hell yeah and he mentioned it to me and i was like dude you um ending like we were both kind of like the driving forces for those other bands so it was like we totally. both we both had spoken about like yeah this is it we're gonna end this shit when we get back or whatnot mm-hmm. so um he got that call just by chance like 24 hours later and i mentioned like hey let me know so he had done a practice or two and he's like you know they need a bass player this and i'm like yeah i'm down he's like oh but i think there's somebody lined up to try out which was actually who would later uh become our friend and was you know a longtime friend of steve's but they had they had you know they just the the connection wasn't there and uh, i actually brought mm-hmm. a little rig to uh record one of the uh practices that could have demos so i was like kind of curious and i was like yeah man i'm not doing anything i could do that so at the end of that rehearsal um she was like hey man you play right i'm like yeah and he's like you, will you be down with, like you know jamming or whatever i'm like yeah yeah. he's like we already got you know i'm on guitar and this other dude's playing guitar would you be down to play bass i'm like yeah i got basses i'm i don't care man i just, I just like playing so he's like all right yeah. and it was just that easy and then from there we just started writing music like crazy you know and and every every uh professional bassist in the world just cringed a little bit as another guitar player takes their yep. job but you know here, here we go and it's the uh it's the i, I, I guess d- i have to play this instrument uh, kind of yeah, for, that, uh. and i mean and i'm all about it i did that in my my first band too like i, I had the the little rig that i had mentioned before mm-hmm. yeah. and then you know we're putting a group together my dad's like oh damn you know like he was i don't know man he must have had a good month or something but also, that not just guitarist thing, going back there, they were actually closing, unfortunately. But I got like a PVP bass and a 115 yep. combo. Oh, yeah. And I'll say this, man. That first band practice, hearing a bass like with the band, it just it sonically like just fucking tripped Changed me out. Off. I'm like, dude, yeah. that depth, the power. So playing mm-hmm. bass was never a thing because it's like, all right, if I'm playing bass, you're going to fucking hear me, you know? And yep. like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to noodle too much or anything. I'll just do licks and things, but I just yeah. loved like pushing the power, the melody, locking in with the, you know, you know, the drummer, making that rhythm yep. section stand out, you know, and, and really just, it was all about the sounds and like the, the, everything working together to create like Mm -hmm. a bigger force and like that first practice as a child like i was just like addicted you know and like messing with the bass sound so like okay this is a subby practice and this was here was more of like a twangy thing and it's kind of funny because i circled back 
and to get those sounds later and to get those sounds for bands uh, on their records when I'm recording them. But it was like, thinking back, it's like, man, I was like chasing these sounds like instinctively almost like back yeah. then. At a young you know, age, yeah. So weird. It's so funny. Yeah, I, I feel like we've kind of, in some ways, we're, we're learning some of the genesis of you as a bassist and, and you know, your band and everything. But I think one of the things that, <clears throat> that we're just sort of touching on a little bit that we haven't quite gotten to much yet is this idea that you're, you know, obviously musician, builder, but recordist as well. And <clears throat> so, you know, I, I think with a few exceptions, it seems like you, you've been sort of like in that chair, producer, producer, engineer, mixer for most of Torch's uh, work and as well as a, a bunch of other stuff. So like, did that, was that, was that there early? How did you even start in that role? When did that start yeah. happening for you? Well, that all that all kind of like it, it kind of goes back to experiment. Like again, it, it was always just like running with the situation at hand. Like where, where that first band that I had it was like my cousin on drums, a uh, schoolmate on guitar and vocals, and then me on bass. We just had those kind of like recorders, it was like rectangular, like with a handle, one cassette, and like yeah, kind of just like for. Yeah, just for like uh, conferences or interviews, those type of things, mm-hmm. you know. So we would we would record that, and instinctively we would move it around to get a good balance, and we do experiments. Wow. We actually felt that I remember I was thinking about this the other day. We felt like the best recording would be when we would set up in my backyard and set up the drum kit, and then set up the guitar amp and the bass amp, almost like the top half of like an octagon or something, you know, like. And, facing in yeah and then have the tape recorder in the middle there and then on the opposite side of the kick drum we would have a combo amp that the vocals would be going through and those recordings actually sounded the best to us wow. so we were wow. always experimenting and fucking around and That's then crazy. i you know i had another friend that was then doing something similar but in his room and then like he would dub you know on he would use two cassettes to layer tracks and that was like also like okay cool that's and, major yeah <laughs> but uh i did get in my hands i never owned one i was always like uh had them on loan or whatever but those green greenish gray Tascam four tracks eight tracks oh yeah so mm-hmm. i messed around with those a bunch and i don't know, i think honestly we only ever used two tracks because we never got the specific cassettes i guess um, oh right you know, yeah, we yeah, were just the like they well, could do four tracks on one side yeah oh, well, what's right. we, what we got and then we would be like destructive recording we're like okay well we're gonna record again so hopefully it's as good as last time because we're gonna go over those tracks <laughs> yeah. like the, these fucking cassettes must have been shredded um right. but you know and i did i loved like that compression and warmth from the cassette sound and it balanced things out and like mm-hmm. was very forgiving uh tonally uh, so that's how those are early recordings. Then I forgot about demoing and recording for a while, and then I fiend, I was fiending to hear the you know uh, later stuff without actually being in the moment playing it. So I was just like, mm-hmm. I got to figure something out. So I actually was lucky enough to borrow a really large cassette thing, and still only using two tracks. Uh, like it was like I don't know if it was like a sixteen or it was a massive machine, but it was still a cassette recorder. And we yeah. were still only using one or two mics. So did that for a while and eventually got into um like the whole computer thing. Because uh, actually I was uh my dad has always had guard uh he's was a baker for seventeen years and then he had like a guard dog service that he started and I was delivering a dog for him and some fucking asshole that thought he was so certain it wasn't his fault, smashed 
into me and you know I, I need to get like therapy it wasn't like horrible but i need to get therapy and it was a settlement so with that money i paid back a small bit to my dad the, the little truck was taken care of and then i had some money to mess with and i'm like i think i'm finally gonna get something to demo stuff with so yeah. i was i i i uh, I wanted to just get the damn Tascam shit and the guy guitar center because it was like just, you know, it was just guitar shops and then that's the only place I could really get a recording thing around, uh, at that time. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was just like, man, you don't get that. People are recording with computers now. That's what you need and you can edit and there's more tracks. I'm like, man, honestly, I just want to record band practice. Like, I'm telling right. you, man, I'm telling you, man. So I got like this M audio thing at first and it was like kind of the system was bugging and I don't know and I returned it and I think it, there was like outdated ass like Digi 001s in stock and they were really uh-huh. my friend was like dude I got one for like 300 bucks or something you need to get that shit and I went over to friends such a fucking weirdo I went through my <laughs> my friends like well this kid has it you can go there and try it out so I got in contact with this other kid and I'm like, hey man, could I bring like a drum set and some shit to like hear what it sounds like and maybe you can like show me what's up? He's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went over to this dude who I did not know as house and he was there playing like some video games and he was like a seven string shredder, you know, prog rock guy and all that. Like, cause there was a lot of that down here, you know, like it was like mm-hmm. de- sure. death, cynic, all that type of, so it was like kind of like, you know, really extraterrestrial seven string metal shredding avant-garde stuff um badass yeah so i i fucking go to this dude's house i bring a whole goddamn drum set and <laughs> i'm miking in like this and that and i'm asking the dumbest questions like all right so he's like yeah look you're gonna put an eq so i put an eq i'm like okay but if i close that is it like you know like the internet where like if you close a window it's gone it's like no 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 it goes it's it just goes back to where on that it's on that track but you just don't need to look at it anymore i'm like asking mm-hmm. all sorts of ridiculous questions i'm there playing drums they're micing guitars and like you know just testing this thing and this guy was super nice uh to me for allowing me to do this and yeah i i got that system and then i started recording practices and then from there other bands were hearing that and like people started offering money to record i'm like what oh, wow. like hell yeah yeah like hey what well, we can do. and like this is like fresh out of high school it's like Hey man, uh, I know you you have a job and you got your own band and stuff, but we heard something you did and we really liked it. I'm like, really? You heard that shit? Okay, cool. Uh, I was like, yeah, we liked it. I'm like, okay. And he's like, would you be down to record us? We'll, we we can give you like, I don't know. I forget if it was like four or five or six hundred bucks for like five songs. I'm like, yes. <laughs> that project done took a year. Be- right. Not because of me, <laughs> but like recording things, adding things editing it to make it more exciting yeah. and then the singing alone for that band oh, it took yeah. a, oh it was God. a it was like so you know divide like 500 bucks by 12 right. months lesson, <laughs> lesson learned holy shit yeah but you know that's how it started and that led to other projects and more projects and more projects and eventually i just i didn't want to go to the I, I was actually set to go to uf for veterinary medicine and i was just like i don't not doing that. I'm going to ruin my life and do music. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to take a vow of poverty instead. Yeah, I'm just going to be struggling. So, <laughs> by choice. But at least you get to do the thing that you love to do, and that's exactly. why we're here and talking yeah, about man. this right. stuff. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't I, I, I don't know that I've, I feel like I've, I've had a job since, like, 2004 or 5, you know? Wow. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Some sometimes sometimes you I wish I did have a job, you know. Yeah. But things things are always good, good yeah. and like you put in the time and the effort, and if you work with musicians to help them, you know, capture what they're after, I think that's a, a really good form, of, you know, best practice, you know, and like that att- yeah. attracts more projects, and you know, you keep at it. If All right, you love well. It. We're, we're talking we're sort of in this like uh producer mentality maybe you know talking about mixing records whatever and <clears throat> something that i definitely wanted to ask you and i know we're jumping around a little bit but whatever who gives a shit yeah. uh and, and this is something that i've been thinking about a lot for myself selfishly uh but still i think it's it's worthwhile to ask so you know from this uh, idea of someone that is in a band and then you're also you know writing things but then also producing and then doing mixing all this sort of stuff how do you how do you approach the do you do you try to put yourself into different mentalities as you have these different tasks in front of you uh you know what i mean like do you, do you think as the guitarist and torch differently than the person mixing the record and, and how do you get to that sort of objectivity because when i listen to the records i don't hear like you know the guitarist mixing a record it sounds like a, right. a, a properly mixed record right awesome thank you um well i always just like the only thing that matters is the music and i just let the music guide me in a sense where uh i just want if i'm working on a record regardless of being in the band or not i just want to capture it as close to reality as possible like as close to that mm-hmm. music being performed in a space that hopefully would sound good and captures the character of the instruments and how much those instruments are triggering the room and the ambience around them. Uh, so as a, as a document. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like how, what it's like, I might latch on to certain aspects of the song or the band that are like, okay, these are the key character and the elements that are really, you know, the important and the essence of the sound. But I share, you know, share the love amongst the, all the drums. I love getting a uh, getting a good drum sound. I share the love into the bass. I love getting the bass that suits the mm-hmm. band and the project and the different guitar sounds and like the lead sounds and the vocal sounds. Like it all needs to like. I feel like I'm very threshold driven. Like if someone shows me something, and if it doesn't hit a certain threshold uh, musically, I'm like, ah, it's cool, but it's not for me or I, I really don't like this or whatever. But I view so many things that way, like things like your brain has a compressor on it. Yeah, I guess I I never thought of it, (laughs) never thought of it like that, but yeah, I guess. And it's like an emotional threshold, you know, is there something, it's just like, I need to feel it. So sometimes people, you know, will make a remark regarding like the type of frequencies I choose or whatever. And it's like, you know, just like maybe any other engineer is like, I'm just trying to embellish or bring out or capture and just use, you know, every stage that is from recording to mixing and then hopefully being involved in the mastering process, you know, uh, trying to make sure that the the entity, the DNA of the band that's important stays intact and is like put, you know, embellished and made as as, you know, as clear to the listener as possible because that's mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do i'm not you know i am never and that's another thing i really uh did something that was kind of like a very much of my age group at the at the time where i booked time for a band to record my band with an engineer that was kind of like the hot shit at the time or whatever right and dude i i definitely should have called the guy and be like hey we're not gonna do this or we can't make it or you know sorry but I just realized I just bailed, you know, but the uh-huh. reason I bailed 
was because once I, I just had like a moment of clarity, like everything that comes from there sounds the same. Like everything sounds the same. And right. I just, I don't know. It was just kind of like an adult moment or something for such a young fucking dipshit. I was just like, the the guys using like the same triggers for all these recordings and like mm-hmm. where like and I li- the 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 final straw was like we we kind of like our thing as a band was like you know we were cho- like the drummer had chosen the symbols that he likes and all this shit and he had his he had his style I was playing you know a Rickenbacker into a like an old like Mesa Boogie triple rectifier but I, I I'd be lying if i said like it didn't sound like what the sound you we're probably all having in our minds right now <laughs> you know like oh yeah, yeah in, in, right. in into like you know uh i forget what type of like into a older orange cab and then sl- that was slaved out to a trainer 115 the bass was an ampeg v4 with uh you know this like mahogany um warmoth jazz jazz bass into an 810 you know some of that stuff is pretty standard in certain circles of music but those things you you kind of described like converges rig at one point i'm pretty sure right there okay well there you go (laughs) maybe that's what they use you know (laughs) v4s were huge in the northeast you know yeah yeah love those yeah i mean once you fix them and you put just as much money in repairs as you did to buying it then they're probably trustworthy (laughs) i've got i've got a vt40 that's one of my favorite sounds for sure yeah there you you go man and you know, so we had we had our sound, and like I was just like, "We're, we're what do we? You know, this guy's just gonna make it sound like all those other bands that we don't like, and like, mm-hmm. you know, they might be doing well, you know, uh, locally or whatnot, but it's like that kind of set uh, planted a seed in my head where it's like, who are these engineers, and who gives them like, what is this? It's like an ego thing where it's like, hey, thank you for your music. Now I'm gonna do my thing. Yeah. Or, you know, it's like, hey, your your role is now, you know, done with. Like, I got it from here. And it's I, one I know, thing. I know if you, it's good for you guys. It's one thing if you ask for that. Like, if you're like, hey, right. this band that you recorded sounds like we want to sound. But it's to to do that as a default is pretty messed up, I would say. Yeah. It, it reminds me almost of like the old sort of, you know, stacks or Motown model or something where right. it's like a hit factory. Yeah. Uh, you know, the artist is sort of secondary, which obviously music has shifted away from uh, most forms of music have shifted away from that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and those and also with respect to those institutions, like, God damn, they have some of the best music Ever. Oh, they made it work. Yeah. No question. You know, Absolutely. And, no doubt, and yeah. you could, and they chose the players because of what the players would do. You know right. what I mean? And like there was, and I feel like even still, like you would hear s- certain things. I mean, when you're using one or two mics, and later they added more. You know, there are certain things like, yeah, the bass is going to sound like give or take, probably similar. You know, mm-hmm. and whatever because the players, yeah, yeah. But I feel like we're, and then they would really, you know, dialing in the nuances of the vocals and the energy and the vibe of the song. They were embellishing the feeling, you know, mm-hmm. where I Absolutely. feel like going over there to that studio would have been like just homogenizing it's everything. The opposite, yeah, yeah, like erasing everything that we worked for as our like own identity as a band. So going into recording, I just wanted to capture the sounds, like the real sounds. And like, you know, I I like to make them as big as possible. And maybe at the end of it, I'm like, okay, we're gonna have to work to recreate this shit live now. But <laughs> it's just like that's the way I think it should be. Capture it as it is, make it into what everyone, or at least in my head, what I think it is, and hopefully people like it. And then that will, in the end gives a final product where the band's like okay now we got to you know step it up a notch or 
a few, you know, and totally. deliver this live or whatever. And, and not to mention, I mean, you know, anytime you make a recording and, and put that out there in the world, people are going to be hearing that way more often than they're ever going to see you live. So why not give them something that actually represents what your vision for the music is, even yeah. if that is just a little bit outside the realm of what like your current arrangement of your band could provide for Agreed. on stage at this yeah. particular Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I mean, this is what this is what we're currently living in these times, modern day and now for a bit. It's just like, and, you know, sometimes maybe younger kids need to hear this type of stuff, but it's like. And I and I'm like, damn, I hope I'm being too like like hardline or something. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> dude, all your band is, it's like uh is a set that's being played in front of someone, the C D or L P they take home, the snippets on social media that are being shared or whatnot, mm -hmm. and YouTube footage. And apart from that, uh material items like merch. But right. that's all it is. So you kinda like sometimes you have people that have these ideas of grandeur or some shit. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like they have this certain like established self thought of like this is what it is. Like, no, like you're 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 you are what you are nowadays. That's it, and you are what you are or, or were during those sets when these you were captured and maybe sometimes immortalized in these mediums. You know, like right. that's that. It's like it's never been so real. That dude, that's that goes back to something you were talking about before, and it's this idea of mystique, uh, and and like trying to maintain some sort of maybe mystery around something to to make it less than, or I guess maybe more than, in some ways, just this you know collection of Spotify and right, some, right. a show that they've seen and maybe a record or two. Yeah, and I feel like it can go both ways. I mean, God damn, like dude, there's some like audio trees or KEXP sessions that I'm just like mm -hmm. the magic was in the fucking air. You yep. know, but on top Absolutely. of that, there's also something like mm, maybe not the best, you know, and like every yeah. but it's that it's that knowing that and having that thought in our minds that we're kind of like, all right, let this be good. Let's you know, it's a little bit of anxiety. It's a little bit of of just that pushing force that is like, don't fuck up. That maybe sometimes pushes us to like have quite a great set or just something and sometimes like a benchmark performance or whatever well if we can talk about a uh, quick performance real fast i mean i did get to sit in when you guys came through chicago not that long ago and you did the cme session which yeah. sounded fucking awesome i think you didn't you, you you also wound up releasing that as like a band camp thing right yeah we do that that definitely um you know, have a lot of a lot of friends that have worked or worked with CME, and uh, that was definitely from the mind of Daniel Daniel Escadisa. Uh, and what's up, Daniel? I know you're listening. Love you, buddy. Much eternal love. I actually kind of forced Daniel to be my friend once, <laughs> where we, we were we were like, um, you know, insert like we had some kind of mutual friends, uh, and I had run into him at Dade, and like. Somebody, like, I don't know, somehow we, we knew of each other maybe, or I knew of him and, like, whatever. And then I was building a studio in, like, 2004, right around the same time that Torch had started. And I kind of needed some help with some, like, planning of for the acoustics. And around the time, he was working for a company that would build studios down here in Miami. And he was also an engineer at the, um, at the college. So I kind of, like... Would pa I passed by the college maybe once or twice, and I was attending classes anyway, and I just didn't catch him. And then I got his contact through uh, one of the other engineers, and I ran into him and calling in like, so we kind of knew each other. But I was just like, hey man, I just need help. And he was like, I convinced <laughs> him, 
Oh, and he also worked at a music store, so I dropped by, and he was like, all right, my, my schedule's pretty stacked, but I'll make time, yeah. man. And, like, you know, once he saw the place, that's it. It was like, okay, this kid is doing something. And I was like, yeah, man, so I kind of, like, I just don't want to make fatal errors that I'm going to regret later. And, like, he gave me some advice, and he was, I think, very impressed by what I was up to and doing. And, you know, he kind of lent lent some of his time into, like, you know, giving me some thoughts. And, you know, from there we've been friends, and he actually used the studio to record and, you know, oh, cool. he'd lent me gear and like, all right. So, but it's kind of funny. Is like I kind of like bulldozed the whole like acquaintance uh, into friendship. Like <laughs> it was like two pulls, and then somebody dropped a wrecking ball and connected them. You know, like yeah. it was like uh, acquaintance friends. Okay, I guess we're here now. And uh, well, it, it I, rains I just, long like, enough. That's I, all gonna fill up as one thing, right? Yeah, it's just like I there was there just wasn't as much information as there is now available and i feel like it was books and like kind of the books had like you know other engineers like yeah i don't know i wouldn't go too hard with those ideas and some of that shit was definitely out of my price range and i was just like i know of this guy i kind of know him uh i'm gonna talk to his ass and you know yeah so we kind of still doing it and he did a fucking sick record job recording that session which by the way i mean again being in there uh, it's not like you had guys had your amps turned down or anything. It was <laughs> breathtakingly loud, and that is a, like a small, pretty enclosed space. And and to still have the kind of it's a clarity basement. And, and, it's and a vibe. Let, yeah, it is literally basement. <laughs> it's the basement, and and it's not like a finished basement. Yeah. Um. But it was, I, you know, pretty fucking rad. And and then, but beyond that, like I walked out of, it, I was like, well, that was cool, but there's no way that's gonna sound good. And then <laughs> and then to hear the, to hear the recordings, like holy shit, he actually did a fantastic job. Obviously you guys are great at, at sort of balancing your own dynamics as a band as well there's not to take that away from you but the right. way he did the job he did capturing it live was super impressive yeah man he did a great job he was pretty he's a very methodical person especially when it comes to recording projects so he mapped it out we were in conversations regarding like maybe what type of mics and he wanted to use ribbon mics mm-hmm. and i'm like he knows that i'm a huge fan of ribbon mics and uh yeah we just we turned down just a hair because one of the mics was like not happy on one of the guitars yeah but just a little bit but it, it felt good in the room you know nobody was uh, made to feel awkward and he was quick to roll with the punches and like he was cool you know with uh, just again that approach of like working with the band because that's what the band does and that's what you're trying to capture so you don't right. start throwing you know these last minute variables and you know factors in that are going to like take away from the experience because what you're trying to do is capture a band you know feeling good and playing their songs the way they play them but Mm -hmm. sometimes some engineers forget that and they start like isolating band members and they start doing this and it's like dude why are we even here in the first place sometimes you need to remember that so you know going into it we had some dialogue and he was cool with me mixing it uh and i was able i mixed it after the tour so i was running off of um you know a very uh intuitive uh kind of sonic impression because we had just toured so i just kind of like this is what we do and like uh he you know he knows of the band and he actually he was uh we we recorded and he was you know he was asking me for like is those sound good are you cool with this you cool with that but he was a recording engineer for in return our second release at the college that we both attended and then you know i was uh i also mixed that as well so there is i did not know that that's amazing yeah so there there's history you know with him and me and the band and you know he was 
it's always been good, man. I, I fucking, that guy is like a brother to me, you know? And, uh, Love he, him. Yeah, we were just talking a couple days ago. I miss him very much. Yeah, he's just he's a very very kind soul and a one of a kind entity. <laughs> you know, I would John, I would go so far as to to offer the same compliments to you Shit, uh, because man. this has been an incredible <clears throat> episode all over the place. I feel like honestly, there are like four thousand questions I still want to ask you that yeah. we just haven't gotten around <laughs> to. But I'm looking, it's like holy shit, we've been going for a while. Yeah, I mean, so, hey, um, there, there can be part two or a follow up or whatever. I'm down. There's gonna have to. Yeah, be, we're dude. gonna have to. Now I've got that shit on tape, so. Uh, you can't go back on that but real quick before we go um mm-hmm. just like i noticed a couple days ago i think maybe three or four days ago on instagram you posted uh it looks like torch is going to be maybe start doing a little demoing or you're in the process of doing that right we've done uh we've written some songs uh there's uh between that uh that failed european thing uh we had finished a tour we had about like i don't know a week or a little more than a week off between uh between a tour we did and going overseas and Rick, Steve, and I uh, wrote a song. So we we demoed that. And we re we, you know we relearned it in a sense, and like we demoed that here. Um, Eric had a couple songs, so we've learned those, and we you know uh, demoed them as well. I had a song. We've demoed that, and now we're just kind of like finalizing a couple. But I think we're we're aiming to do some like maybe an EP, like a like a six song type of thing. So I, if all goes well, I we're scheduled to track it uh, not next week, but the week after. Oh wow, that's super cool. soon. Yeah, you're the first ones to know that, I guess. <laughs> Scoop. Yeah, for, gotta listen to the end of the episode for that shit. Right, yeah. right, right. So we're, we're so if all goes well, we're doing that. Maybe it doesn't go well. Maybe we don't release shit. But right. I don't know. We could, I could easily see us re- releasing anywhere from like two to five or six songs. So we'll we'll see how it goes and we'll take it you know as it comes and but yeah that's definitely going down that's super exciting so i mean we've already talked about it you do so much different stuff i'm assuming there are different places on the web where you would send people to go find out about these things so uh you know obviously the band in your studio and your and your uh, amp and pedal company tell people where they can find out more about these things sure sure um so for the studio stuff i guess i bounce between uh, the main thing for me, because I'm always working, the fastest thing, I probably like most people, is like the social media route. So, uh, totally. the personal studio or whatever would be like Sound Artillery Studio is the studio. Sound Artillery is the name of the place. And uh, yeah, like for I guess some Torch stuff and studio stuff combined, it's Nunez three hundred five. Uh, Torch is uh, Torch Band, if I'm not mistaken. I might be screwing that up. I think that's right. I'm okay, pretty sure that's cool. right. Well, yeah, you let me know. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I was going to say, like, the tor- I know the Torch email is torchmusic at gmail.com, but for whatever good that is. But, yeah, you know, we have the Torch Bandcamp. There's a torchmusic.com, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, we're, we're trying to stay in the whole, like, keeping our, our – our, the people who are into our band interested and engaged with through the social media totally. and letting them know that we're running – our own merch store we're printing our own merch where we'll be uh, releasing the the cme lp yeah it's like cme on one side and a part-times punks uh live session so it's like a dual live oh, session yeah. lp we've so self- well, i obviously have to buy that i was yeah, freaking there amazing. awesome yeah i mean a lot of cool things came from that we had we're, ha- we're it's a half of an lp that's coming out hopefully it'll start shipping uh end of february early march and when the pre-sales for that have been insane it's been awesome it's been like an inspiring 
kind of uh, response to like trying to do everything ourselves in house. Because I have the recording studio, and then in the same complex we have the print shop slash the torch office. So in the middle it goes on there, and you know, so it's kind of rewarding to just do everything like print, ship, and then at night come in the studio record. And just kind of like, you know, make a productive cycle out of it to uh, keep us yeah, inspired. Yeah, full service. Yeah, yeah that's so, awesome, man. You know, so kind of like doing, the, uh, I guess, more of a DIY approach and just feel more connected with our own stuff as well as everyone that's into the band could feel more connected as well, hopefully, and more engaged with us on a personal, you know, band level or whatever. So No question about it. Yeah, I mean, more more to come for sure. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. John, thank you so thank much you, for joining man. us, man. It's yeah, been an honor to have you on. You, your honesty is, is is hugely appreciated. Oh, I guess um, also I forgot yeah. about the gear thing. I'm just, I got just. Oh, there it is. Yeah, Nunez, like, Nunez amplification. Yeah, so it's just N U N E Z A M P S. Uh, so Nunez amps uh, on the social media, NunezAmps.com. I also, the recording thing. I also have like stuff that people can hear if they're interested in like past projects I've done. I need to yeah. update it probably like every other engineer, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I think. Uh, let me double. Uh, maybe we can. I'll double check eventually, and maybe I'll send an edit soundbite. But I'm pretty sure it's Nunez Sound, N U N E Z Sound dot com. That's for the engineering stuff. So there's like a gear list that definitely needs to be uh, updated. But there's plenty of shit on there. There's some pictures and audio references. I have like a listen page that I just tell people. I I just let. This is what I've done. Some of that stuff was uh, done in a rehearsal space. Some of it was done in studios. Some of it. It was right. sent to me lately. I've been doing a lot of like, I guess what you call them pandemic records where bands I'll send like a little list of like, try these miking techniques out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of bands are recording themselves and I'm able to, you know, mix them. I could reamp, I could, you know, run it through the racks obviously as I mix. And I don't know. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun and it's awesome to see bands, uh, putting out killer, uh, stuff. Even bands have released a record last March, just blowing that material away with new material that they're doing and doing it themselves. So it's a cool time. It's very interesting. Agreed. And I'm I'm super happy to hear that you've been busy and been able to stay active too. Very appreciative. (laughs) Again, thank you so much for being on and and for joining us. It's, it's been great. And, uh, both you guys, you know, uh, stay safe and, uh, stay healthy. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you guys and stay safe. I agree. We all have to mm, be patient. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hardest thing to do right now but i agree yeah all right buds. guys